Welcome to the multitask. This is John. This is your boy Fadi. What's going on, guys? So, first and foremost, we're back. We took a lot of December off. Uh, it got kind of funny because Fadi wanted to take some time off. I'm like, don't worry about it, bro. I got you. I didn't get him. I went ahead <laughs> <laughs> and I took time off too. <laughs> but you know what's funny? It, since yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's so funny. Since we've been doing this, that was our first break ever. That was, I yeah. mean, sometimes we've recorded a show, uh, or we, you know, during the holidays, we might stack two shows together in recording and maybe, but this is the first time we've had any downtime. So, which is funny, but it's, it's a recap of 2023 and it's, uh, it's been quite a year. Uh, you know, what's funny is you get near the end of any year, uh, you get your memes about saying goodbye to the old year, what have you. Um, but. Um, we're going to talk about the five big stories plus some honorable mentions, but what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to just run them down and then we're going to dive into them a little bit more in depth. So the whole, we're closing with Israel-Palestine. We're closing the year, I should say, with Israel-Palestine. But then in addition to that, the House Republican dysfunction, the way it started with Kevin McCarthy getting voted on 14 times, the way it ended, uh, Trump indictments, mugshots, I mean... And, and even though he's not on here, we might want to just list Rudy on there as well. Um, Clarence Thomas drama, Supreme Court drama. Uh, the ethics of the Supreme Court has been insane. And the uh, upside of the economic upswing success. Joe Biden, no matter what people are saying about him, no matter how much they're coming for him, uh, Biden had a good year. Not just on the economics, but on a lot of stuff. Now the press has to give him credit. But it happened. So those are the five. We also have some honorable mentions. We'll get to it in the show. But I think we have to start out the year with um, the Israel-Palestine issue. Uh, it is the top story. It's the top story worldwide regardless because of um, what we understand and what we know to be the horrible, horrible, horrible brutality of October 7th. It's a very inexcusable, darkest day. Uh, for Jews across the world. It's probably one of the darkest days in our in our world. But then we also have to talk about one of the things, and, and I almost want us to go backwards, and you may remember this, Fadi, but we also have to talk about just uh, the horrible, horrific response that Israel had. And I'm not sure if you remember me saying early on, um, Israel was justified to retaliate, but I had some big, big concerns with how to retaliate. And I feel like I was right when I said it because that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, and, and I think people in Biden's corner, even Biden saying Israel's starting to lose um, a bunch of kind of goodwill, if you will, um, amongst the, the, just the community, right? And even today, Chicago had another uh, kind of pro-Palestinian uh, rally caravan, if you will, uh, locally. Um, I, I agree that this is one of definitely the top five stories of the year. Part of it is, John, because... I think it has some implication. I won't go too far, but I think it has some implication for the 2024 election, which will be the biggest story of next year. Spoiler alert. Um, I think Biden, the numbers are the numbers. And there was a good poll for Biden this week that had showed him up too. And, and you sent it to me. And I told you that the way the polls are, I, I probably think this is Biden plus five plus six, the way the polls are going um, in reality. Right. Um, I think Biden has had a dip amongst, Definitely young people and definitely Arabs in this country. And I was talking to somebody about this and I said, 
look, Trump's not going to win the majority of young people and Trump's not going to win the majority of Arabs. But if Trump is at 31, 35% of Arabs in the 2020 election, can he get to 38, 39% and just sneak Michigan away from him, right? Can he just sneak enough of the, the, the vote just to cost Biden in a state or two? That's the real worry. I don't think the majority of Arabs are voting for Trump. That's not going to happen. But can you steal another 3 4%? Um, I think that's the implication for next year. As far as the whole thing, I think – I don't think we've been on different sides. I just think I've – um, been a little bullish on the response and everything because a lot of people think this started October 7th. And I'm not saying you, I'm saying generally, I think a lot of people think it was all hunky dory peachy on October 7th. And then this sparked everything when in reality, there's been kind of decades and decades of one-sided violence uh, against Palestinians. And although the October 7th uh, attack wasn't justified, um, it certainly isn't the, the, the inception of this. And so I think I've been a little bullish on their response. Also, um, the, I think the biggest thing that's come from this is people are understanding now. I don't think people understood what Palestinians were going through prior to this. And yes, is there a rise of anti-Semitism? Yes. And is there some of that? But it's not, it, it hasn't reached the fever point that it has with, with pro-Palestinians, right? And so I get a little bit worried about where this is headed. Because I don't know what Israel is going to do now. Do they set? Do they feel the sentiment and back off? Do they go even harder? I know there was a little bit of a truce and hostage uh, negotiation and stuff like that. Is that maybe something that continues to happen in 2024? Um, but similar to last year, John, where you, Ukraine and Russia kind of happened right towards the end of the year there. There's a lot of similarities between these two stories. The difference is Ukraine has a lot of uh, global support because they are a recognized nation. They have a leader. Zelensky could show up on TV in his, in his green shirt, can come to Congress and make a speech, and the Palestinians aren't recognized at the global stage, and they don't have that kind of focal leader uh, that could that could come to Congress, right? So I think those are the big differences in those two stories. Yeah. Now, one of the things I wanted to go back to when you talked about the election, the, the voting thing, um, and this is more this is a question for you, especially like in Michigan. I don't necessarily see Trump's Arab numbers improving. I see Arab turnout being depressed, meaning um, I don't necessarily think that because obviously if anybody who's mad at Biden, uh, you know, from the Arab community or progressives, you realize that it is going to be a binary choice this time next year. You might go Jill Stein, you might go Cornel West, you might go Kennedy, whoever is there, but really it's a binary choice. And... You're taking, and first of all, I don't think Biden's a bad option, but for people who are unhappy with Biden, you're taking what you see as a bad option, and by either voting for Trump or not voting at all, you're potentially empowering a much worse option. So do you, the question I have for you is, do you think that um, it hurts Biden's percentages in the uh, Arab community, or it hurts the turnout? in the Arab community. I think this is a turn. I, I, I think, I think both. I think Trump can steal a percent or two, but I definitely think it's a turnout issue. Also, they might turn out, but they just might skip. They might turn out for down ballot races and skip the presidential race. Yeah. But, but would any Arab who's trying to punish Biden uh, for Palestine really vote for Trump? I could, like I say, I can understand that the punishment 
could be not voting. I just don't see how someone saying, I don't like the way you handled Israel, and I'm going to go vote for Trump instead. But, but I can see I can see that maybe in the Jewish community. I don't see that in the Arab community. No, but keep in mind, like, there is a lot of conservative Arabs, and they might have thought Trump went too far in 2020, or COVID response or the George Floyd situation, the unrest, right? And they might have just went to Biden just to get rid of Trump. But now they've been so, I don't want to use the word radicalized, but they've been so turned off to Biden because of this, that they, there might be a 25-year-old Arab kid who's like, or a ninth, remember, there's people who did it, weren't old enough to vote in 2020 that might be uh, pro-Trump uh, people that might just join the race in this time who are 18, 19-year-olds year, who weren't able to vote last time who might vote for Trump. So I guess I wouldn't be surprised if Trump Trump steals a percent or two away uh, that wasn't there before. Right. Well, you know, one of the things I think it's important, and this is why we call it the multitask, and as we were prepping for the show, we were talking right before we started recording, I said all of these five issues have so, so many layers. And one of the layers I wanted to cover is... Um, and I want people, and I and I when I talk to my students, although I haven't talked to them for about eight weeks, that's another story. But um, one of the things I want people to be mindful of, um, for those of us who aren't on either side, for those of us who are on both sides, for those of us who believe in a two-state solution, for those of us who cry when uh, uh, Palestinian innocents are killed, and those of us who cry... And, and cry at the same time that uh, Jewish innocents are killed. Um, one of the things that I've not been happy with is our domestic discourse. Um, I, I, I have felt that most people who are dug in with one side or the other have not done a good job of recognizing the other person's humanity. Um, I also feel that Sometimes people are overreacting. So, for instance, if if I was in a city and I saw somebody ripping down signs, I'd probably whip their butt. I tried. I'd get in their face. I'd and blah blah blah. But I, you know what else? I'm not down with the people who are ripping down the signs, having their lives ruined, having you know, uh, see you know, and, and it's the same way with the college campuses. Um, the college campuses, a lot of kids are showing their asses. A lot of kids are doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing. But I also am not a big fan of people trying to crack down on college campuses because it's about free speech. It's about academic freedom. And I, I sometimes wonder, um, you know, and, and we know we talk about 24, but do you think that for some domestically, the Israel-Palestinian fight, and I'm not talking about Palestinian hardcore supporters or Israel hardcore supporters, but for others, do you think that this is kind of a vehicle to fight the other side? Um, I do feel like what's going on in college campuses is just as much about conservative attacks on elite institutions as it is about anti-Semitism. Honestly, John, I don't, I don't think it's about any of that. And, and here's what I say that is because you find bad faith actors or people who just want to be part of the chaos and kind of every single movement, right? 
think about Trayvon Martin or or Michael Brown when um, it turned into our, well, I, yeah, I guess Michael Brown should have never been killed, but why do you have to burn the gas station? Or it turned into, yeah, I, I support your movement, but why do we have to call it Black Lives Matter? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's people, we went to a couple of protests together. There's people who are there for opportunity and they're not necessarily representing e- either side. They just want to cause either chaos or kind of, um, you know, there's people at concerts who just kind of want to be in the circle and, and cause drama, right? I think that's what a lot of this is. Um, the people ripping down posters isn't a story to me. It's a non-factor. If some 17-year-old does that, it's the same as like one kid who throws a brick through the marshals in downtown Chicago and all of a sudden the protests get labeled as violent and non-peaceful, right? It's like we know, we know we're smarter than that because we've been on the ground a little bit, right? I don't want to take full credit. We've been on the ground a little bit. You have a lot more history than I do, obviously. But we've been on the ground a little bit. So I generally think that these are just bad faith actors across the board, right? Joe Rogan went viral. I, I don't know if you saw this the other day or even yesterday because he was caught live fact-checked and he reacted very poorly to it because he realized that he was completely wrong. And I believe that Joe Rogan, by, by the way, I don't want to make this about Joe Rogan, but he's a perfect example of this. Joe Rogan believed the lie about Biden when he said there, he got fact-checked. He believed that ivermectin cured COVID, even when ivermectin himself said we didn't do it, we have nothing to do with COVID. He believed that there was kids in high schools in California peeing in cat litter boxes because they identified as a cat. There is so much of this misinformation, disinformation, straight up kind of just lies that people who are otherwise smart actually believe in. And that's what I think a lot of this goes on here is you end up just getting you, you, you sometimes playing devil's advocate goes too far is what I'll say. John, when I was at Columbia, me and you got into a few times uh, debatingly, not like uh, arguing or anything, because sometimes I was an art kid in school and I just wanted to play devil's advocate and just take the other side. Or sometimes, John, you might know two kids who disagree and put them in the same argument just to kind of have the discourse. And so when I see this stuff on college campuses, whether it's ripping the posters down or uh, whatever it is, I think a lot of this is just people who are joining the movement for fun and they're going to go on to the next thing tomorrow, whatever the next thing is. Um, There's just seasonal things that people go on. It's a war on Christmas. It's the immigrants. It's the caravans. It's this, 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 and this. And this just happens to be the news story. Now I think that's what it mostly is. Does that make sense? Right. Right. Um, I think, I think one of the challenges, um, I, I agree, but I, what's weird about this is I'm seeing things, and maybe it's because of the upcoming election, where things that are disturbing aren't all that concerning in the big picture. I I guess you know what what I what I'm seeing what I'm seeing here is. Uh, the White House, I think, and, and 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 I think American elected officials are going to change course pretty soon. And what they're going what they're, what they're going to do is, as I was saying before, I do think that Israel probably is no longer going to be able to move like they've moved in previous years. I think the way that uh, the world reacted 
the way that not necessarily American politicians, uh, the American political class, but the way that the youth, the grassroots reacted, um, I think that it's time for a change of course with Israel. And that when that, that change of course does not mean not supporting Israel, that change of course meaning, it, I think means putting uh, greater expectations on our support of Israel. And, if we're, and, and, and knowing, as I've said before, I don't think that we're an adequate peacemaker just for no other reason than it's unfair for us to ask others who are on the other side of the issue to trust us completely. I think we can be a great influence on, on, on Israel. I think we can do a lot with Israel, but I, I don't necessarily think we're peacemakers. But that being said, I do think that this is a chance to redefine um, everything and how we go forward with Israel. But where my concern is, Biden has been doing a lot. He said some things that are concerning. He said some things that, you know, you make me even uncomfortable. But, you know, there, a, a report came out today that, you know, he cut, he had, it looks like the, one of the reports, and I have to check for verification, is that, you know, um, Netanyahu was going to go after Hezbollah. And, 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 and Biden basically chilled him, right? And had, had Netanyahu gone after Hezbollah the way that he wanted to go after Hezbollah, this could have been really dangerous. Um, and is the, is the opposition, is the pro-Palestinian crowd so angry at Biden that they're not going to see or give him credit for things that moves he's made that they could be happy with? Do you, or, or the, do you think that there's, do you think that Biden can ever be, I can see where the people would, be less angry, less vocal, but will they ever, ever acknowledge any of the good moves that he's made that should be stuff that they might be happy with? No, no. And the reason for that, John, is because there's still a life and death thing going on, right? This isn't politics. This isn't red tape. This isn't um, political maneuvering. It doesn't matter, right? I know people who are trying to get in contact with family down there who can't, right? Because there's no Wi-Fi, there's no water, there's no nothing. And they kind of have to sit in uh, work meetings all day and teams meetings all day thinking about their family who could be dead or could not be dead overseas. And so it doesn't matter that he chilled on uh, Hezbollah or he's working behind the scenes to get Palestinian water or he's working behind the scenes to do any of that because it's still life or death. Now, granted, it's a nuanced conversation, right? Biden's not responsible for that. Biden isn't responsible for Israel going after innocent civilians in Palestine. That's not Biden's responsibility. Now, granted, we do have financial um, stakes as we are funding some of this, and we are a very powerful ally of Israel, right? It's the it's probably the it's probably the relationship that we care about the most in the world is is that one with Israel, right? So nuance doesn't actually matter to a lot of people because it's life or death. It's their family there, and Biden can probably do something, but he probably can at the same time. But they don't want to hear it because, again, they're calling their aunts or uncles and trying to figure out if they're still alive. It doesn't actually matter about anything else, right? And I also want to say it, it shouldn't, right? We have a right to be – people have a right to be mad at Biden. Now – We'll see what where we are a year from now, if it costs him votes. 
I do not think it's responsible to try to punish Biden by putting America at a worse place by reelecting Donald Trump. But at the same time, we have to hear these people out, right? We, we cannot think, we cannot go to people who are legitimately upset and be like, well, don't vote for Trump. It's just, it's not the time right now. Let's save it for June, July, August when it really matters, right? For now, I think they have a right to be mad. And also, John, remember I, I when we first started this podcast, we talked about it with AOC a bunch. I, I'm not sure that the anger and the vitriol towards Biden isn't all very purposeful to continue to push him, right? There's a lot of people who will probably end up voting for Biden who are saying publicly they're not going to vote for Biden just to keep him honest, just to keep him continue to push, keep the pressure on, continue to allow progress to happen in the region. And then we'll see what happens in August and September, right? So uh, is, it, is it fair that they're mad? Yes. I'm, I'm just, I don't think where we are now is where we'll be in six months, but I'm not against where we are now, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know what, but here's the thing though. Um, we're less than a year away from the election. And as I work from a, this, this is what I I think some of the folks have to understand. We're going to respect your feelings and we're going to, and not your, I'm not talking about you specifically, but I'm talking about to the, you know, the, the larger group. Um, but if you're telling me, and again, you is not you. But if folks are telling us we're not voting for Biden, uh, we're going to disrupt your convention, blah, 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 then that tells me, okay, well, then my efforts need to be, uh, I- I've lost you. I'm not going to get you back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get someone else. And you can scream, you can protest, you can shut shit down, you can do all of that and keep doing it. I'm not going to make you stop it. But I'm going to go find the people who are, I don't, wanna, I don't like using the phrase reasonable, but it seems like um it seem it seems like we're at a point to where Biden and the Democrats can't make these folks happy and I hate that but I also from a from an organizing from a strategy standpoint then we've got to prioritize the people we can get how many times can people go ahead and say we're never, you know, call him genocide, Joe. We're never voting for him. Use all this rhetoric, you know. Um, you, you know, they're for some reason they're shutting down and going after Akeem Jeffries. But I don't know if they said crap to the new Speaker of the House, right? If that's the case, why am I even gonna like waste time and effort? I'm gonna go ahead and go where I have people who are not trying to shut me down and I'm going to hear them. I'm not going to, and, and, and you know, this is the important thing. And I think this is where a lot of people have to be when it comes to Israel, Palestine, when it comes to Israel, Palestine, lead with what's right. Don't lead with what the protesters are saying. Don't lead with what the donors are saying. Uh, don't, you know, just go ahead and find what we can live with, what we can live with 30 years from now, what we can live with 40 years from now, what we can live with 50 years from now, what we can live with as a legacy on our involvement, that is what should guide us, right? Um, but it's it's weird because, uh, and as you know, uh, my immediate, uh, a good portion of my immediate social media click, um, they've, but they've, they're frustrated but they were frustrated from day one, right? They, they, it's not like, you know, 
I'm I was a slower burn, um, and I, I'm still a slower burn. I'm a slower burn, and you know you don't know how many times I'm sitting here putting my fist in the air, yelling at one side, and just as I've gone ahead and gone after that side, I turn around and go after the other side, right? Like I say, I'm ready to whip the butts of the people who are ripping down signs, but I'm also ready to rip out the butts with the butts of the people who are trying to ruin the people who are ripping down the signs. Um, and I, so I worry about that as we go into 24 and here's the thing. And, um, this is before we move on to the next item, but here's the thing at that, that really, um, frustrates, uh, that frustrates me. Um, and it, this goes back to 2016. Uh, and I think it's now a pack. It's called the girl, I guess. And the girl, I guess is like, I guess I'll support him. I'm worried about excitement. We can go ahead and we can say these people will be back and they're going to just shouting and just shouting. The one of the reasons why Biden's poll numbers are so low, it's not because Trump is becoming more popular. It's because Biden's base feels rightfully so, because we talk about this every week as Democrats, but Biden's base is very comfortable going ahead and said, we're not sure if we're going to be there for you. And at some point in time, it's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I'm not really trying to entertain a lot of people who are voting for the lesser of two evils. I'm not trying to entertain the people who um, aren't with us now, but might be with us later. I'm trying to find as many people and run up that number of people who are going to be with us from now on, because part of the reason why Hillary lost in 2016 is because there are a lot of people who were like, I guess she's the lesser of two evils. How excited can you get for the lesser of two evils? You can't. So, you know, and it's funny because this is right now a discussion of Palestine and Israel, but as you and I both know, we can take this exact same element and put it into three or four of the different things that we're talking about on, on our list. So uh, that's my last word on Palestine and Israel. Do you have anything else to say before we move on to uh, the next item on the list? Just very quickly, just a reminder that Arabs and Palestinians in general are very new to this country. And when I mean new, I mean in political power, right? People thought a black president was rare. I, I think that's more likely than a Palestinian Muslim president in this country, right? So we just have to be very careful that this is the first time really that they feel political power because now that they have the voice in the ears of people that they they, they are going to make the mistakes that uh, different minorities or different groups might have made a long time ago. So we just, I wouldn't give up on them. I would just say, let them air it out and visit them in five months and then see where we're at. I think we're going to be in a different place. So that's my last point about that. Yeah. But remember, I'm not, I'm less concerned about them. But I'm talking about the larger progressive movement. Um, if, 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 if we were talking strictly about the Palestinian community, I think I'd have a lot more patience. And I think within the larger pro-Palestine movement, I have a greater patience and acceptance and understanding, uh, you know, for what their expectations are. It's the larger progressive movement that is wilding out that I, that I'm really growing frustrated with, if, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, second on the list, and it's a year-long story. It started out rough. It ended rough. 
and it's going to most likely result in the Democrats getting the House of Representatives back, is the House Republican dysfunction, which started with, was it 14 or 15 votes? Uh, what, what did Kevin McCarthy start with? Was it 14 or 15 votes? I thought it was 15, um, yeah. Before I say more, what what what? How would you like to introduce or set up the discussions of the House Republicans? It's here's my analogy. I know we always go to sports, so it feels fitting. You ever get like a Bears Monday Night Football game? It's like prime time, and you start talking yourself into like, you know what? Maybe maybe we'll do good. Maybe we'll beat Aaron Rodgers. Maybe we'll beat Patrick Mahomes. Maybe we'll beat Tom Brady, and you start talking up the defense and talking up the offense and, oh, we have a running game in the snow and blah, blah, blah. And then you get some other night football. It's just the same old thing and the Bears get rocked. That's what it was like for Republicans. It was like, we said it would be a disaster because they're not good at governing. We said it would be horrible. And then you, you start talking to yourself into, well, these are adults and they've been here before and Kevin McCarthy is a pro and blah, blah, blah. And then you realize all of it is just true. It's all a facade. They're not good at governing. They're not good at leading. They're a party that's based on being in the minority. And this was a perfect uh, example of that. They cannot govern. um, And their dysfunction from bookend to year to year was a perfect example. Yeah. You know, what's interesting and, you know, we don't really have anything specifically about 2024 on this list, but we can't, you know, we talk about the House Republican dysfunction, the speaker drama, as far as getting the speaker elected and the speaker getting run out and then not being able to replace the speaker immediately. Um, one of the things that I don't think people talk about enough, and don't forget we always talk about the double standard of... Um, uh, how Democrats are treated versus Republicans. Don't you think that the Republican dysfunction should get talked about a lot more through the lens of how does this threaten Trump, right? Um, the the Republican dysfunction happened because of a lack of Republican leadership. Not necessarily, not just Republican leadership in the House, but Republican leadership nationwide, right? Uh, <coughs> Republican leadership at every level. Um, don't you think that if the House Dems were as in much disarray as the House Republicans are, don't you think that would be a liability for Biden? And if so, how is this a li- How would that have been a liability for Biden? But if for some reason, it's not going to be a liability for Trump. Uh, standards, right? Th- there is no Republican standards. They are expected to fail. They're expected to be... Uh, remember, they're famously anti kind of government, right, John? They're the party that thinks the government should be disbanded and everybody should be able to just farm and 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 fend for themselves and tighten up their bootstraps. They run on a campaign of we're going to stay out of your life and the government's not important. Everybody knows what to do, and so it's not it's not uncommon to see them that they just don't know what to do because they run on a campaign of everybody knows and we just have to stay out of their way. They just want kind of tax cuts for the rich. Um, so the, the answer to your question is standards. Democrats are the adults in the room. They're the ones that are supposed to be in charge. They're supposed to be responsible despite the younger brother or the stupid cousin that doesn't know how to act up. It's like a sleepover at a party. 
and it's it might be at your house, but your cousins are acting a fool, and your mom comes down and it's like, John, what is going on? It's like I didn't even I didn't even do anything. It was them, you know what I mean? But because it's your house, that you're responsible for it, and that's how I kind of feel about Democrats or Republicans is. Democrats are just the ones that are going to get the blame because they're the ones that are supposed to be the adults and Republicans are supposed to fail. I, I, I mean, I didn't feel like this two years ago, but it's pretty clear, right? The media just expects them to be dumb on, on the wrong side of history that they just don't invite them to the, to the adult party anymore. They're at the kids table. And if some of the mashed potatoes fly over onto the adults table, it's, they're never going to get blamed for it. And that's just the situation we're in. I will say this, despite the media's lack of kind of, narrative on Biden specifically, I do think they've handled the Republicans pretty well. And what I mean is they made uh, Fox News made fun of the McCarthy vote. Fox News made fun of McCarthy being ousted. Fox News said all the the hearings were shams. Fox News said that all of this was just nonsense. Republicans themselves are saying that Biden has, there's no evidence to be impeached, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think generally that the media has handled the Republicans specifically well. I just think they don't handle Democrats, uh, as fairly, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, one of the challenges that um, I think that we have is the fact that the Republicans, as you said, are held to a different standard. And I agree with you about the shots that Fox News and others are taking at the Republicans. But I think the Republicans have a lot more birth and a lot more space. I mean, you know, there was um, one of the uh, one of the uh, Republicans said something on the House floor um, in a you know in the wake of October seventh and the crisis in a, a in Gaza Strip uh, that was just very inhumane towards Palestinians, very inhumane towards Arabs, and nothing but a peep. Um, yet you got Rashida Tlaib being censured, um, you know, and, you know, a lot of people who voted against, a lot of Democrats who voted against the censure of Rashida Tlaib are not happy with her, not happy with what she's saying, but they saw how, how crazy it was. But now granted, that is the benefit of being in the majority, but you've had a situation where, um, uh, what Adam Schiff has been censured. You had um, Rashida Tlaib has been censured. Jamal Bauman has been censured. And uh, all censured over some BS. BS that had Democrats done the same thing, they would have paid a greater political price for. Um, We have, you know, this whole weaponization of government committee that the Republicans have and they're going after folks. Then they turn around have three Ivy League presidents come and, you know, try to address, not necessarily defend, but address their handling of student protests and anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, free speech, you know, uh, academic freedom. And they got one out, one fired, they celebrated. They didn't get one of them, the the African-American woman, Claudine Gray, from Harvard out. So now they're actually doing an investigation on whether or not she plagiarized. What? That's weaponization of government. That should be unacceptable for them to do that. So I just, it is chaotic, but it is also still a major uh, 
just it's it, what it does to our country is horrible. But here's the other thing that really frustrates me. Um, do you know that this has been a, the least productive contra, conference, uh, Congress, potentially in all of American history, definitely in recent history, if not all American history? Um, I still maintain what I said a few minutes ago. This has probably got it. This has got to, in my opinion, not only hurt Trump, but also hurt Mitch McConnell. You know, there are some beliefs that Mitch McConnell has a good chance of getting back to Senate. But I could see this actually, or it should, if people are right, if people are consistent, this should actually undermine um, Mitch McConnell's efforts to take back the Senate. Yeah, I, I, it's weird because I think the Senate more than, I think that the White House and the House are very linked together, but the Senate feels so kind of separated from all that stuff. We'll end up seeing what's happening in 24, but if this was Democrats, it would cost us the Senate for sure. But Republicans, I think, especially because the senators tend to be more, they don't really delve into the games that the House do with MTG and Bobert and all those people, that I think the Senate might not face the consequences that otherwise would have befall any other sort of party. Um, by the way, is McConnell up at 24? No, no, no. Oh, I thought he was up for some reason. I guess 26, yeah. Interesting. Um yeah, so, yeah, it should cost the, the, them the Senate, but I just think it's such a standalone thing. I don't think it'll affect it either way. Yeah, now, one of the things before we move on, I want to talk about, before we move on from the House, um, and shout out, I mean, we're talking, we spend a lot of times talking about, not talking about Democrats, but Hakeem Jeffries is doing an amazing job, um, you know, and it looks like we're going to get back George Santos' seat, which which is good. Um uh, and of course, we'll see what happens with, with Kevin McCarthy retiring. But um, it'll be fascinating to see how they move forward on Hunter Biden. In addition John, to I that, just, I just realized the year started with Kevin McCarthy's speaker and ended with him not even in Congress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And, wow. then, and Nancy Pelosi is, while, meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi is living her best life. Yeah, right. facts, facts. <laughs> um, but uh, in addition to that, the Republicans, you know, are going to try to impeach Joe Biden. Now, this is not our prediction show, but I do want to just touch on it a little bit. Um, it just, when you, th- when you think, not only have they not accomplished anything, and we just talked about Israel-Palestine, for them to be, for there to be so many international crises, um, Ukraine, Russia still going on, Israel, Palestine, and for them to have no movement on that, but maybe uh, move hardcore forward on trying to impeach Joe Biden, that is just a dereliction of duty. Yeah, well, well. Depends on what your duty is. I think their duty is to do that stuff. I think they're elected to to do that. So in that sense, they're doing what they were brought there for. But as far as the general whole as a country, they don't care about their job or their role as leaders. They just they just want Democrats to suffer. And and in that sense, I think they're doing a good job. Oh, granted, nothing has come of it yet, and I don't know. We'll see what happens with the impeachment. I do think they'll go through with it, but um, we'll end up seeing. But it it's not dereliction of duty because. Their, their only job is to mess with Democrats. 
Right. Uh, that's, you know, insane. So it's funny because we saved this for number three. Now, we didn't save it. I, and I don't think we're doing it in chronological order, but it is the meat. It's probably where we're going to spend a lot of time today. And you have it down as Trump indictments. I'm just going to call it Trump's entire year in court. Uh, the man's got, he's got 91 indict, he's got 91 charges. I think he's been indicted four times, 91 charges, uh, his, uh, he, 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 and the civil suits. Um, I don't know where, where do you want to start on discussing Trump's year, uh, year in defense attorneys, right? Uh, I don't know how we can, I don't know what a, a simple, cute, tagline would be, but where would you want to start on the whole Trump issue? So I want to actually start with the idea that I think this is the greatest political story in the history of this country. And it feels so normal to us. Part of it is because we knew that he was doing this stuff the entire time. But John, do you realize that he was indicted four times this calendar year, including mugshot, including an arraignment, including the documents case, the Georgia case, the, the DC case, um, a possible a possible new case here is coming shortly. But if this was any other year, any other person, it, it would be the pol- biggest political bombshell. And he, John, it's not one kind of indictment, right? It's not one kind of oh, I did not have sexual relations with that woman indictment. It's it's actual ninety counts of felonies. And different states, federals, local, et cetera. Um, and we'll see what ends up happening in, in Arizona or Michigan or whatever the new states come from. But this is the politi- biggest political story, I think, ever. Right? Last year, we ended the year with the biggest story being the Mar-a-Lago raid. And that's just a raid. He was actually indicted for that this time. Um, we will end this year, John, I think. This isn't a prediction show, but we will end this year with him at least getting a guilty count in one of them. And we, I think we're taking it for granted. I, I, I think it's still fascinating that we're taking it for granted. He's still the political front runner. He has a legitimate 49, 50% chance of being the president still in a year's time. And he's still facing all of these counts. And I just find that fascinating that the country hasn't gotten, I, I will say the a, a decent percentage of the country hasn't even want to get rid of him. They just want to bring him back. Um, I think if we don't suss this out, if we don't keep him away, I think our country ends functionally. And so, I, yeah, I think this is the biggest political story ever, to be honest, John. But it it, 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 it ties back to what we opened the show with and so many other issues. But it ties back to the whole Israel-Palestine issue. Um. Trump's people are going to be with him no matter what. Remember, as Democrats, um, on people on the left, progressives, liberals, we have the luxury, or at least we think we have the luxury, of telling Joe Biden, if you don't get it right, we're not going to back you. We have the luxury of saying, the other guy is a criminal, the other guy is going to set us back as far as democracy and everything else, but we're still not sure whether or not we want to get with Joe Biden. Um, it's a binary choice. So when you talk about that percentage, 
of uh, of the chance that by that that Trump's got, um, it speaks poorly to our country. And before I deal with the left, it speaks poorly to the right. Um, I and I I will tell you this for people who think, oh well, we should go younger or what have you. I guarantee you this. Um, the type of person that would say Donald Trump is a better option than a Joe Biden is not the type of person who all of a sudden would turn around and say Gavin Newsom is a better option than Donald Trump. Think about it. And, and, and yeah. when I say think about it, look at the Republican primary field. There's three governors, two out of three governors, and I'm talking specifically about Haley and Christie, you know, are kind of quasi-reasonable. Um, I DeSantis is just an idiot. But there's no good goddamn reason for Donald Trump, forget Donald Trump's polls against Joe Biden. There's no good goddamn reason for Donald Trump to be whipping their butts the way they are. Both Haley and Christie, and I am not going to get behind a Republican. I'm not going to get excited about a Republican because they're all crap. Even the good ones are crap. But would you agree that what we've got in Donald Trump is, and, and Donald Trump's success, Donald Trump's popularity, the strength of Donald Trump's support is scary. And that's not a reflection to me on Biden. That's a reflection to me on how sick our country is. Yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more, John. Um, part of it, I think, is... I, I I think about this a lot because part of it I think is a little bit of um, revisionist history. I think there's a good set of the country that believes all of COVID happened under Biden, when in fact the majority of it happened under Trump. I think there's a good part of the country that believes. I don't mean in a conspiracy way. I mean just how they remember things because it all kind of blended together. John, I think there's a good part of the country that believes all the lockdowns happened under Biden. Because maybe a lot of them did happen in blue states, right? Illinois, California, New York, that they just kind of lump in Democrats together. I think that's part of the problem is because it's like bombshell after bombshell after bombshell of news that I think people forget that things actually happen in a specific order. I think another problem is generally that people people think, I, I don't want to say this, but there's a revisionist history of George Bush, right? The second, right? Where he's very fond now. And the poll numbers on him are very good. And people don't remember 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006. People barely remember the economic crash and the housing market and all that stuff. And all of that happened under Bush. But because just time goes away and people forget and people move on and people die. And all of a sudden there's this little bit of kind of revisionist history, right? You see it with the next generation where they'll stumble upon an Eminem song and be like, well, wait, was Eminem problematic? And all of us are like, we've already hashed this out. We already had the trial, like, just leave it alone. Right. And so I think that's part of the problem, too, is Trump's now been out of office for four years and some people might struggle. So they still feel like, oh, it's Biden. It's Biden. I Like, I'd rather take four years ago than this. And so I think there's some sentiment of that. But it comes down to this also, John. I think I was arguing with somebody over text the other day because they brought up that I think the majority of the country hates Biden. And I'll go to as far as to say I think there's a – and you taught me this lesson early on in the pod. 
social media is not real life. And I think because we spend a lot of time on social media and there's a lot of negativity in the shade room and all this stuff that it kind of could feel like that. But I think reasonably, if you go out and you talk to just normal Americans, when I say normal, I mean just everyday people who are not, who aren't necessarily paying attention every single day. I think they'll, they'll really feel that Biden is a clear cut, better choice. Um, but people love a horse race too, John, right? It's the Skip Bayless, Stephen A thing. Um, it's the Super Bowl leading up to it. It's the national championship game. People that's just inherently American where you just have two teams that are going against each other. If the media depicted it, depicted it uh, accurately, I think that we would be a little bit looking at it a little bit differently. We'll talk about it when we talk about the economy in a little bit. But I think there's just a lot of factors there. I think ultimately Democrats have won every single election since 2018. And I think we have to just continue to keep our eye on the ball and, and move forward. Right. So as, as we dive more into Donald Trump's legal problems, uh, we have four cases. And one of the things, the way that the year is ending um, is with the news that uh, the Supreme Court is not going to fast track the immunity case. And uh, what's fascinating about that is the reaction, uh, the do something crowd, the people who hate Merrick Garland the people who've been quiet because Jack Smith has been cooking with grease. Um, they all showed up when, when, you know, when, and, and went after Merrick Garland. And I've got a few things to say about that. Um, and we're going to still dive into the particular Trump cases, but I think that one, they will probably end up eating their words. I'm still confident that, you know, a lot of people feel a lot of the legal experts feel this just moves things back from March to at the latest May and June. Right. Um, but the and, and but these also are some of the defeatists who, as we talk about the larger electoral issue and something you and I've talked about, Joe Biden, Jamie Hairston, Hakeem Jeffries, Chuck Schumer, the Democrats, their electoral strategy cannot be a Trump conviction. If we get a Trump conviction, great. But we're. The people in the the people in the fields, the people on the streets, I don't believe they are waiting for or need a Trump conviction. Hell, we want one. We all want one. We want multiple Trump convictions. But the doomsdayers, especially when, from what I've heard from what I've heard from the uh, pundits I've seen on TV, is the the doomsdayers just want to be doomsdayers because. It seems like it's not going to push back things that much. But more importantly, even if it did, our goal should be to win this sucker at the ballot box. If we get to the point to where we don't need to, fine. But our goal should be to win this at the ballot box. Oh, yeah, I I, I would would agree with you. Um, I think something you said is interesting about just... um, Biden poll numbers and just how unpopular or whatever it is, right? I'm I'm a little bit I don't know what the word is, but I'm I'm I push back on the idea that that's real in the sense that I think that just comes with the job, John. I think there's a general baked in disapproval rating for any president minus the last two years of his of his if he wins the second election, right? Obama got a lot of love those kind of last eighteen months, right? And so does everybody, right? So 
I think it's it goes with same thing with like the Chicago mayor, the New York mayor, LA, certain governorships. There just comes a baked in we're unhappy and you're getting it the blame of it, no matter how popular we're before election, right? Lori Lightfoot won every single uh, district but one, right? And look what ended up ultimately happening, right? Brandon Johnson was kind of this progressive uh, hero and he's faced a lot of flack. I don't think that's about the person. I think it's about the chair, right? John, I talked about this with Biden and Israel. It's, I don't know if they're mad at Biden or if they're just generally mad at the chair and Biden just happens to be sitting there, right? Obama famously said, being president is just taking a lot of shit and, and paperwork a lot of the times, right? And that's and he kind of leaned into that a little bit, and I think Biden does a little bit as well. Um, so I, I just would push back on that at least a year out of the election. I'm very proud of where the country stood over the last kind of every election since 2018. And are we in a scary position, the fact that Trump has a chance? Absolutely. And the fact that someone could look at me in the eye and say that Biden has made this country worse, I think is a complete fool. Um, but we have a lot of fools in this country and we just have to keep our eyes on the ball and trust the fact that the American people will ultimately do the right thing. And I, I do genuinely have that faith. So uh, of the four cases, um, do you still think that the strongest case is, uh, the January 6th case of, so just to recap for the people who, since, since he did take four uh, indictments and again, we're not even talking civil yet. But the four indictments was um, uh, New York has got him on the hush money scandal, um, which it seems like that's a slam dunk and it seems like it'd be pretty quick. Um, Georgia has got him on a whole ass RICO charge with multiple with multiple uh, co-defendants, many of which, or I say at least a few, a handful of which have already uh, cut deals. Uh, then Jack Smith has got two. He's got the Mar-a-Lago documents case, and then he has uh, the January 6th case. Um, uh, I still think that it looks like uh, it looks like Jack Smith will go first, but I wonder if Alvin Bragg's in a position to move up because if um, it seems like the Alvin Bragg case would be a quick case, um, I wonder if he could move up knowing that Alvin Bragg is going to, I mean, knowing that Jack Smith is probably making a push back to May, but which case to you is, are the, do you, do we think, do we see convictions in all four or are there some cases that you feel better than or, or, or worse than? Um, I think the strongest case is Georgia. And the reason I say that is because one, I think the documents case doc, like it, it being a Mar-a-Lago and the judge canon, I think takes it a little bit into murky waters. I think the January 6th case is extremely strong, but that ultimately will end up in being, does a jury or the judge believe that Trump knew what he was doing? And there's just a lot of gray area there with Georgia. It's pretty clear. There's a phone call. There's act, there's evidence we've all heard. And, and there's one more caveat here, Meadows. I believe, and I said this from the beginning, Meadows tried to move the Georgia case out of Georgia because he's working with the feds. And he, and by the way, I'm not making this up. There's reports that allegedly he's the one who's working with Jack Smith and federal prosecutors. 
I think he tried to lean on Jack Smith to say, hey, I'm helping you here. You got to get rid of the Georgia case or at least bring it into federal court and tie it all for my immunity. Right. So that's why I think ultimately the documents case may be the strongest one because I think Meadows is cooperating, but he's also not. Oh, you mean the, the Georgia, the Georgia, the Georgia case? You mean the Georgia case, not the documents? Case. No, I, I think the, 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 the caveat being is I don't know if Meadows oh. is working with Georgia officials. So the caveat might be Meadows, if he's working with Jack Smith in the documents case, I think it's over because Meadows, there's nobody closer to the president than the chief of staff. I think a lot of people think the vice president is the most powerful, second most powerful person. I said it from the beginning. I think the chief of staff is the second most powerful person in the country because he's the one actually wrangling everybody for the president. So the caveat is if Meadows doesn't work with Georgia officials, I think the documents case is the strongest one. But if Meadows is just included in the documents case and in Georgia, I think Georgia and the documents case are probably tied. With the fact that it's in Mar-a-Lago gives me a little bit of shaking water. But I, I do think um, that Georgia has some debt to rights because the, the evidence is so strong there. It's a phone call. He's explicit. He says what he wants. He threatens him by saying a lot of people are not going to be happy with this. And there's no gray area as much there. So that's why I think Georgia is truly the strongest. Well, you know, to your, you raised a good point that I had to consider. And then after hearing your point, I something popped into my head is I do wonder if because he was unsuccessful in getting the Georgia case moved, might he also now be more open to cutting a deal in Georgia? Right? Uh, you know, cutting his losses. But um, one of the things... You're talking about Donald or Meadows? Think... Meadows. Meadows. Um, oh, yeah, Meadows, yeah, yeah. But one one of the things that I think is um, potential, and we this crept up this past week, is I still think that there's potential chance for more indictments. After hearing what we heard out of Michigan, might he be looking? Might Trump be looking at an indictment? And Rana McDaniel or Rana Romney McDaniel, uh, she could be looking at something. Um, also, when you think about the civil trial in New York on the fraud charges. And don't forget, there's an E. Jean, uh, e. Jean Carroll case as well. But I was speaking specifically about the um, Trump uh, organization fraud charges. Um, that's going to, even though it's civil, that's going to kick his butt because it, it may shut down his businesses and his ability to make money. But also, my belief is that if if he's guilty of fraud in a civil case, doesn't it potentially also open him up for criminal prosecution, especially around his taxes? Um, so it'll be fascinating to see. Well, again, this is not the prediction show, but I think we have to entertain the possibility that Trump's indictments might not be over, right? Trump's criminal, there might be more criminal indictments waiting for him. But in addition to that, um, I do think that that, because don't forget what people do not realize. The civil fraud case is not in doubt. It's just what the punishment will be. The judge has already declared that the Trump organization has committed fraud. Just like in the case of Rudy Giuliani uh, getting stuck up for $150 million uh, with Miss um, Ruby and Sean, uh, Shea Moss, um, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, um, 
it's not a question of did he commit fraud or not commit fraud. It's more going to be as how extensive and what the penalty is going to be. So, wow. And don't forget, this will be the second time Trump, Trump had a high-profile fraud case, although it didn't get in the way. Don't forget, Trump University fraud was uh, actually litigated before he became president. Yeah, yeah. Also, you're talking about kind of fraud and and everything. I wonder, because of what happened to Rudy this week, if there's a few of these civil cases that pop up just because he said something bad about people, right? Remember the Eugene Carroll case he lost? She doubled down because he doubled down. He's, she sued him again. I wonder if Ruby or somebody else in some other state who he said something about uh, ultimately end up, what if there's like a court clerk? I know he's going at the New York court clerk a lot. Um, I wonder if there's somebody else, just a citizen who ends up suing him because he ruined their life. That's also a possibility here. Um, yeah, uh, this is going to be the most consequential year of his life, pretty clearly. Um, I'm here to watch it. It's it, Most of them start in March, right, John? Uh, well, we'll see. Um, uh, we'll have to see what the Supreme Court does. And um, it's, look, uh, it's, again, back to how we started this particular element of discussion. It is so frustrating that this man can have all this legal exposure and uh, be the leading candidate and also polling well. I just, it, I want to say, we we've, we don't want him, we have got to start looking at the entire price. We cannot be one-issue voters. We've got to look at the entire plate. And, you know, I, I want the activists, I keep coming back to the beginning of the show, but I want the activists to also realize Joe Biden and the Democrats have moved a lot. Uh, and, 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 and I think they'll continue to move in the right direction. And there's going to have to be a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of savviness and sophistication in how to manage, you know, your expectations, get the most out of them. But, and it's, it's weird. We're on item number three, but we're still talking Israel and Palestine. I think that going forward, America's stance, America's support will always be there of Israel, but I think it's going to look a lot different uh, than a lot of people think it will. I think it'll be maybe not acceptable to the people on the left, but a lot less offensive to the people on the left. So moving on, Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court drama. The man is just... uh, I don't know where where do we start with everyone? Do we want to talk about uh, driving across country in his RV like a normal man? Most normal people can't afford a $200,000 RV. Uh, do we want to talk about uh, people buying his mother's house and living, letting her live there rent-free? Or do we want to talk about the fact that he, back, what, in 2000, uh, told a member of Congress that uh, he wasn't making any money, and he might have to uh, resign from the Supreme Court. And all of a sudden, he started getting hookups. Where would you like to start on the whole Clarence Thomas uh, issue? Yeah, so I think it's fascinating that a part of the reason I added this to the list was because just how the last week ended, right? It was a, it was a bookmark to the year where I think the picture came into full focus was – I think Clarence Thomas manipulated the system 
to get all these gifts. It wasn't like he was rich and then he just wanted more. I think he saw himself as I could be making so much more money, not being the Supreme court justice. That's what my motivation is. And he told the right congressperson and that congressperson went on and, and developed a system to keep him happy. That's led to all these things that led to, um, the trips and the mom's house and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what's disappointing about this story, John, is that one Republicans will, would have a problem with this if it was RBG or anybody kind of left leaning. And so you kind of have to just suck it up because you know that they would be upset. The other fact is if you want to take a moment to talk about institutions and there was a viral moment this week. I don't know if you saw it without you sent it to me about Al Franken, right? Um, that he pushed back on the whole idea of, of two stolen seats and et cetera, et cetera. The Republicans have torched this institution. I had no longer have faith in the Supreme court. I think that if Trump is involved in a case that he would win every single case. Um, and I don't see a pathway forward minus time where the two older kind of Republican justices either die or step away. And hopefully we have the presidency in the Senate at that time. If we don't, then they're just going to keep it open. John, the Republicans will never, if they're in charge of the Senate, they will never ever give us another um, Supreme court justice, especially if it's replacing a Republican one. So I am a little bit worried of where this is going. And the only way to kind of combat is to keep winning the Senate and the White House, which is obviously really hard to do consistently. So that's my biggest lesson here is that they have torched this institution. They built it for themselves, John. I don't mean to get into the patriarchy, but they built it for themselves. And as soon as it started backfiring on them, they rigged the system to get it back to where they wanted it to be. And now they have it in such a majority that I don't even see a pathway forward. So that's the biggest lesson here is that Clarence Thomas is a metaphor for how torched this institution is. Can can the Clarence Thomas situation be utilized uh, to create energy and excitement to uh, potentially hold on to the Senate? The the is is it is it too? Um, nuanced is it too? Is it, it? It's exciting for some of us, but for the larger world, for the larger electorate, is it something that we could actually see Democrats getting some political leverage out of, or not? I don't think so, because there's nothing inevitable. There isn't like Clarence Thomas is saying, "Oh, I'm going to step away in the next six months." Like we had, we had kind of hints that Breyer was going to step down. Uh, if if a Democrat won. So I think there was a little bit of play there, but there's nothing imminent here. Those guys are going to stay there. Um, th- there's no announcement or there's no nothing imminent there. So uh, I don't think you're, you're going to get a lot of political play out of that. Right. So, and, and of course, as we always talk about, one of the things we like to try to stress in here is that uh, things aren't just, you know, even though why we know that there's political opportunities and things that we'd like to leverage, that we don't just only look at it from a political leverage standpoint, but we are going into a, a big year. Um, do you, well, then it's, it's funny because every every item, item on here on our list ties back to another item. 
Uh, do we think that with all that's going on with the Trump legal cases and the Trump legal cases that will actually inevitably end up in front of the Supreme Court, do we anticipate that Clarence Thomas will recuse? He absolutely won't. Not a chance. Sorry, I don't mean. I don't mean. There's no analysis there. He's already. He's already shown that he won't. Re- he won't even recuse if his wife's in it, right? So, let alone Donald Trump. They built the system to work. So why would they step away when they need it to work for them the most? So I have no faith that he will do anything that's uh, principled. You know, and one of the things, and it was funny because we could have talked about it under the Trump indictments, uh, arrest, mugshots category, but <clears throat> let's not forget. In addition to the immunity case, one of the things that the Supreme Court, of which Clarence Thomas is a member, will be uh, meeting to discuss pretty soon is the whole issue of whether or not they will uphold the uh, Colorado Supreme Court's ruling that Trump be kicked off the ballot in Colorado. It will be fascinating to see how he rules. And what's funny is Colorado Supreme Court, when they wrote their opinion, they they mentioned that Neil Gorsuch of all people, actually, I think it was Gorsuch, not Kavanaugh, has actually had a previous ruling that would indicate that he most likely would support, uh, if he's consistent, he would support the uh, removal of Trump from the Colorado ballot. Now, we did not talk about this in the previous segment, but we should probably talk about it because it does impact the Supreme Court and Clarence Thomas. What is your expectations of uh, the Supreme Court as relates to upholding or not upholding what the uh, Colorado Supreme Court did? I I honestly, I, I, I don't know because I think the Colorado Supreme Court is, they're not dummies, right? They know what they're doing. And so I would have to imagine that they have an airtight case. But I, then that would mean that that means something to the Supreme Court. And I think it doesn't. I think they're, if I had to put money on it, I think they would figure out a way off a technicality or a paperwork or a missing comma or a wrong date to kind of throw this out. I don't know what Colorado's backup plan is. I don't know if the governor has some sort of uh, power, that executive power, that whatever. But I just think that they're trying to find loopholes as we speak. It's just a matter of if they can find them or not. I think it's, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I just think they're going to try their best to keep, to, to, to overturn it. Yeah. Um, it, it, it will be fascinating to see. So the last thing we want to talk about, and it's probably the first thing that we should be have talked about because we like to always tell the good news with Biden, but our country, our country is on an economic upswing. Uh, what's funny as I was leaving Meyer today, um, I was. I noticed that the the and the Meyer near me has a gas station. That gas was priced at two dollars and ninety seven cents. Um, and I heard recently, and I have to uh, get verification. You may have heard as well. Do you know that inflation right now is lower than it was when Joe Biden first became president? So, um, what are your thoughts? on the uh, economic upswing in, in the United States right now? Well, first of all, let's let's give kudos to where kudos is due. Biden has put together a team, legislation, tax plan, all the combination of things that they know how to do that I'm not smart enough to understand. 
to put this country back on track. And as Donald Trump would say it, the economy is better under Democrats than it is Republicans, which, by the way, Donald Trump said himself in an interview uh, long ago, um, which is absolutely true. It's proven fact that Democrats, that every single person in this country, whether you're rich, whether you're white, black, whether you're poor, whether you're a janitor or a CEO or a single mom or you have kids or don't have kids, married or not married, whatever kind of group you belong to, it's a proven fact that you do better in the economy under Democrats than Republicans. That's a fact. Um, it's a fact that inflation is lower. And even if, even if it's high, it's still lower than other countries because honestly, this, this was a global pandemic. And I don't think people understand that all the countries were kind of going through it. Um, gas prices are, are down. The price for everyday goods, eggs, et cetera, formula, all that stuff is down. Um, the economy is stable. Uh, jobs are at a record or unemployment is at a record low. Job growth is, is steady month by month. All of these are proven facts. So kudos to Democrats and Joe Biden for that. Now, the flip side of that is why don't people accept this? Why is it still common now or common belief that Republicans are better for the economy? Why is it common belief that Democrats are the ones that raise the debt uh, to add to the debt? Why is it a common belief that Democrats are just having a credit card and they spend it? I read an interesting tweet this week that said, for the first time since Biden was inaugurated, there's a general shift that people believe the economy is in a better place. And the tweet went on to say, it just it turns out that if you just tell people the economy is better, that they believe it. And what I it's not to say that people are sheep or they just believe every, anything you tell them. But it turns out the economy is very nuanced and hard to understand. And until people feel it in their pocketbooks, until people feel it at the pump or whatever you want to say, that people won't believe it, right? And what they believe in Donald Trump is that he gave him $1,600 stimmies when it was Democrats in the House who did that. Um, he didn't give him the second stimmy and he definitely didn't give him the third stimmy, right? But people remember that, right? There was a big push amongst the, the Latino uh voter base in, in Florida who said we voted for Donald Trump because we saw his name on the $1,600 check. And people really, really need that. Right. And so I guess what my point is, is we have to spend the next eight to 12 months telling people that the economy is better. I don't care about proving it. I don't care about showing them pictures of gas stations and their prices. I think we just have to say it and continue to push back on anything else because it's factually true. The recession never came. One of the biggest predictions that um, people had last year was that we were going to hit a recession this year. And it's not, it's not its not even that it didn't come. It's just not even close. And Biden deserves credit for that. And under any other circumstance, this would be a biggest um, political kind of advantage. Going into election year, having three years of a plus economy, I think would win you any single election. I think we have to lean into that. So my big rant is to say, stop trying to prove it. Just tell people it's better because it is, you know. Well, and and I think we, you're right about we got to tell the story. And more importantly, when you say we have to tell the story, we have to tell the story on our own platforms and our own means because we're not going to get the air support from the media. Whenever there's when, – when, when, whenever – and, you know, the media will <clears> – the, if the media spent as much time talking about Biden's success with the economy and its impact on Americans – as they spent asking why 
Biden's success with the economy is not resulting in better polling. And as much time as they spend on, is he too old? And as, as much time as they spend on Hunter Biden, and as much time as they spend on this other issue and that other issue, uh, I think Biden's poll numbers would be different. And I think the reality is, and you know, I've, you've heard me say this before. <clears throat> I don't want to turn into the Trump version of the press is uh, uh, our enemy, the nation's enemy, right? But they're right now, unfortunately, they're in it for the clicks. They're in it for the sensationalism. They're in it for so many things that do not benefit our country. And I think as a result, what's happening is you have a case where Joe Biden has bought our economy back. We're doing very well. Unemployment's low. W- wages are raising, are rising a little bit. The, the stock market's doing great. Inflation is below where it started, when, when, when where it was when Joe Biden first got elected. And we're just now getting a little bit of um, a vision that Joe Biden uh, is getting a little bit of credit. But that speaks poorly of, of the way our press covers everything. And we have to continue to tell that story. You know, one of the things, and we have to do it, we've talked about it before, and I'm talking about we, we this time being you and I, is we definitely want to go ahead and start creating and putting out more content because um, us and others on the left and those who are supportive of the president, those of us who are Democrats, we're going to have to tell the story. We have to tell the story through our own platforms because we're not going to get support from the press. 100%. And earlier when you said that Biden and Harrison and all these people shouldn't rely on a Trump guilty verdict as your kind of election platform, I think they understand that. I think they are, especially in swing states, right, John? I don't I don't mean to dismiss kind of the, the, the deep blue states. I don't because those are important. But I think in there's like – Arizona and in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. I think there's a lot of independent, moderate people who I think on a day to day understand that the economy is important and that it doesn't matter who's at the helm, but they want to vote on issue and they want to vote on principle. And I think when you go to those people, you have to say, look at my economic record if I'm Joe Biden versus their economic record. This isn't close at all. The problem comes, John, is, and you know this uh, uh, with your background, do they feel it? Even if the numbers, like like this year, uh, this is a stupid analogy, but this year in fantasy, I was the fourth highest scoring team and I didn't make the playoffs because I happened to have a lot of points scored against me. So when I look to people and I say, I'm the fourth highest scoring team, but did it lead anywhere? Do people have more money in their pockets? Are they paying less for gas? Can they take a mini vacation to Wisconsin Dells or to New York or Florida or whatever? Can can do we have a little pocket change to spend extra money on Christmas gifts? Or can they buy the car that they need, right? Because the economic numbers are good, but does it translate to people's pockets? And sometimes, John, you know this, it takes time, right? Obama was doing things in year one that paid off in year seven and year eight with the economy. Because 2015, 2016 were really great years, right? So now I think you're starting to see people flip and say, all right, things are starting to look better. It's four years in, and a lot of these economic policies are coming into fruition. 
do you want another four years of that? Or do you want to go back to this? I think that's the story that you kind of have to tell. Right. So now we want to get into our honorable mentions and I'm adding an honorable mention to the two you already put on there. And I'll lead with this honorable mention and I'm surprised we missed it. But in addition to some of the climate change stuff and the worker strikes, another story that could really impact 2024 is the success that those who are supportive of women's reproductive health rights have had in so many states. The most recent one being the victory in Ohio. And before we, and, and we obviously can't spend too much time on it. Do you think by, and I'm going to speak specifically about Ohio, but there's going to be other states in which it may come up. But do you think that there's enough, there was enough excitement in, in Ohio combined with the fact that Sherrod Brown's already a Democratic incumbent, right? Do you think that his chances of holding on to his seat have improved? Or is that a reflection of the fact that he has a great chance of holding on his seat? And does it potentially put the state of Ohio in play in the presidential race? The state of Ohio is not in play in the presidential race. Um, I think that is pretty fair. For, for I just think that's pretty accurate. With Brown, I think he's... He's very specific, right? I, I think I learned this lesson with Tim Ryan because I think I, I picture Ohio, I should say. I picture Ohio as this really kind of blue collar, um, bootstrap, um, kind of workers union town, right? And Tim Ryan is Ohio. He was born and raised. He was a congressperson there, I think, right? And he knew Ohio in and out. And then here comes this this Vance guy who's really from California and doesn't care about Ohio is like the anti Ohio. And I think, I think Tim Ryan ran a great campaign and I think he painted Vance as anti Ohio, similar to the way the Fetterman Fetterman did Oz in, in Pennsylvania. And yet he's Tim Ryan had no chance. It wasn't even close. Right. And so the reason I say that is because I would think that Ohioans would come out for somebody like Sherrod Brown all the time and maybe maybe because they know him that they'll come out and they'll vote and he's safe. And maybe because um, there was a little there was maybe ballot splitting with Tim Ryan and, and Joe Biden or whatever the case may be. Um, I just I think he's safer because they know him. But I just think Ohio is such a weird state right now that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they just went with somebody super mega or whatever the case is. Well, here's a question. While I I don't necessarily think it would make sense to push back on your belief that it's not in play, might the Republicans, though, because of what happened with the issue of reproductive health, um, might the Republicans have to put more resources into Ohio um, than they would have liked, Right. Between the possibility, because they, one, they're going to want to try to knock off Sherrod Brown. And two, are, are they seeing it? Because there is potentially a coalition that supported reproductive health, um, might the Republicans, can, while I agree with you that we probably should not put it on our map, can the Republicans afford to stand down? Can Put it this way, you know how... The Democrats can take California, Illinois, and New York for granted. 
can Republicans take Ohio for granted, or can Republicans take Ohio for granted the way they would, say, a Florida or a Texas or an Alabama? Can can they take Ohio for granted, or might they have to invest more than they should have to invest uh, in, in, in Ohio because you have a strong incumbent running and because of what just happened with reproductive health? I would, I would, I would understand your picture and your the story you're trying to paint in an off year, but because I, I would have to assume that Trump's on the ballot, I think that changes everything. I think people show up to vote for Donald Trump, and uh, thus I think that it just wouldn't be in play for us, even if they took their eye off the ball a little bit. I think Trump is just a, he's guaranteed his numbers are guaranteed for his base. Um, now, also, I think we saw a lot of ballot splitting in in 2020. So I could picture if there's an initiative, is it, didn't Ohio just pass weed or who, what, what state was that? Yeah. Ohio passed weed too. Yeah. So I could picture like an initiative like that, Trump winning an initiative like that passing because I think enough people ballot split. So I, I could see Brown winning, but Trump winning the state handily, if that makes sense. I think we saw that in Pennsylvania a lot. Granted, Biden won that state, and so did uh, Fetterman and uh, the governor. So um, I just think Ohio's probably a little too red to to really change. Okay. Well, and it'll be interesting to see what other states, and you know, um, and you probably don't remember 2004, but in 2004, just like in 2022, 2020, and maybe 2024, some states will be doing referendums on the issue of choice. Um, the Republicans, one reason why Bush was effective was he actually used actually uh, 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 constitutional amendments banning gay marriage in a lot of states to turn out the vote for him. So the Democrats can potentially use the model that the Republicans used in 2004 and uh, utilize uh, reproductive health in some other states. Uh, as a referendum issue to maybe turn out some of their elected voters. So now we're moving on to climate change. Uh, you mentioned Ohio train derailment, uh, bad air for months from wildfires, Maui, et cetera. Um, climate change is real, folks. And um, down to, I've heard some people even predict that Chicago, our beloved home, or let me just correct this because I know how you city folks get, Chicago land, <laughs> our, 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 our beloved home, um, uh, might not see the snow that we normally see every year. Of course, it's only December. We don't know. But uh, what would you like to say about climate change? I agree. It's a, it's There's a lot going on, and I think people are really starting to see the effects already. We're no longer talking about what's going to happen in 10, 15, 20 years. It's happening now. So what would you like to say about climate change? Um, It's interesting, John, because I think it's one of those things that's becoming even more polarized. There, I there was a, a girl I matched with on a dating app that one of her prompts was, "If you don't recycle, please don't swipe on me." Like just people who really care. But then every one of person, every one of those, you have somebody who's like, "Look, it's snow. Climate change isn't real," and so we still have so much work to really be done. I wish people would look at climate change, um, as. What's the word I'm looking for? It's not as it's not as extreme as it's not like the world is gonna blow up as much as it's small, small incremental changes year by year that ultimately put us in a tough spot to raise our families in. People care about their kids so much 
that I think you have to start painting that picture where it becomes the state you live in is going to be inhabit in, like it won't. I can't say that word right now. You won't be able to live in the state you're in or certain parts of the state you're in. If you don't, if we don't focus on climate change now, John, part of the problem is it's such a big thing to talk about, right? Al Gore was way ahead of the game and he, I think paid probably a political lesson for it. But I, ju- I guess what I'm trying to say is like, there's so much education to be done. And I think abortion will be the biggest issue on the, on the ballot in 24. And there's Ukraine and there's Israel and there's all these different situations. I think ultimately climate change is the most important issue because you need a planet to live on in order to deal with the other issues. Um, I unfortunately think that a lot of the movies, a lot of the cynicism is correct that we won't deal with these problems until we're in the water uh, figuratively and literally. And I worry that we're going down a bad path here because we can't even agree that two plus two equals four. We can't even get the country to agree that there's a problem, let alone how to fix it. And so we have to individually do our part. We can't change the world uh, just by ourselves, but we do have to individually do our part. And um, also, John, I think there's a capitalism play in here. Can you, and Joe Biden has done a great job at this. He campaigned on climate change off a jobs mandate, basically. It's like, hey, if you guys don't care about climate change, cool, but I'm going to create a lot of jobs doing it. So if you just want the jobs, then if that's your motivation, that's fine. I think he did a great job at that. And we have created a lot of jobs in in the climate change field. I think we have to look at it like a capitalism play here. Can you incentivize companies to help you reverse the effects of climate change? If you could do that as a government and you could do that as a consumer, then I think a lot of companies will jump on board. Unfortunately, we're just not there yet. Yes. I'm going to, I remember I keep pulling everything back, tying everything together. Question for you. The type of people who have said the majority of the people who have said they're not voting for Biden in 24 because of his handling of Israel, where are they most likely to align on the issue of the climate? Who, given what we anticipate or what we would assume would be their expectations, and I'm not necessarily talking about uh, the larger Arabic community, I'm talking about the larger progressive community, where do they align on the environment? Do they not have a very binary choice? And that binary choice exists even if uh, Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or Vivek Ramsey are the are the Republican candidate. Is there not a very obvious binary choice when it comes to the climate for for many of the same folks who have said that they're not going to vote for Joe Biden next next year? Yeah, people on the I left who said so. they're not going to vote for Joe Biden next year. Yeah, I think there's a there's a pretty binary choice there. Yeah, you know, so we've we've got to, and maybe that's it. We got to focus on some of the other issues. And then the last thing, of which I know firsthand, uh, is that there's a nation, the nationwide worker strikes. Whether it was UPS, United Auto Workers, people walking out Starbucks, walking out at Starbucks, the Writers Guild, the Screen Actors Guild, and in my case. Uh, AFT Local 6602 or IFT Local 6602, Columbia College uh, 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 Adjunct Faculty Association. Um, It was a big year for striking workers and the striking workers throughout the country, including myself, 
got some wins. What were your thoughts on the whole uh, labor movement this this past summer? Look, this is a country that believes the power is the people. And although we we recognize corporations as people, unfortunately, and, and stuff like that, I think that still is to be true. I still believe wholeheartedly that the power is in the people's hands. If we all wanted to change the world, we can tomorrow. If we all wanted to stop at protest and 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 um and st- stop shopping at Amazon, Amazon would crumble the next day if we wanted to. Today, there's a story in, in Georgia where all the Uber and Lyft drivers have collectively turned off their apps for the day on one of the busiest travel days of the year, and they're not going to Uber or Lyft people around to send a message to Uber or Lyft that this is enough and is enough. Hollywood, the writers and actors eventually stood up for all of us in a way, right? You guys, the teachers, there was UPS strikes. There was a uh, Starbucks strikes. Also, John, shout out to the people who threatened to strike and, and almost did, right? I know Biden stepped in on the rail, the, the rail worker stuff. And there was a lot of these moments where I think, I think a lot of companies and a lot of industries faced the hard truth. Now, even though there's wins to be had, like, for instance, the writer's strike, we're going to have another moment of truth in three years, right? The deal's only for three years, right? How long can you keep um, these companies at bay for? In reality, how long can you stick together with your brethren and and, and go toe-to-toe? I know a lot of you, in the, I can't speak for other people, and I don't want to speak for you. I know we talk off, off record, but similar to a locker room, a lot of guys are there because there's a guy next to them. And maybe someone might disagree with the protest, but because someone else cares, right? Like George Clooney understood that the writer's strike is not about him. He's going to be fine, but he has to support the people who are under him uh, and, and get them a good deal. So I, I'm, I respect the fact that this is an American thing. It's, band, or it's, a, it's a global thing, I should say. What I mean is like this is inherently American to band together and to change industries uh, for the better. This is a union country. Joe Biden is union president, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it was a great step in the right direction. There's still a lot of work to be done, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was, I will tell you this though too. And this is something I hope all the unions, all of the unions, but particularly those who just are now coming off of a strike, uh, take advantage of. Um, I think I told you I was kind of lukewarm on our strike. Uh, and I also predicted that um, after a couple of weeks, I'd probably be a little bit more into it. And it's sure enough, I, you know, all it does is take uh, really, you know, management pushing back a few times, really solidify folks. But So I, I encourage a lot of the unions, uh, especially those who just won contracts, to really um, work on fellowship, uh, work on really, even though you're in your first year of new contracts, um, and I'm sure some of the more seasoned unions, unions don't have this problem. So maybe I'm talking to my union specifically, but there are a lot of people who in larger corporations and schools who probably walked the picket line together, who never knew each other, but they worked for that company and they got friendships. I would say, take advantage of your, your most recent successes and use that to real, just even build stronger unions. Um, one of the things I'm looking forward to, first and foremost, I'm looking forward to returning to the classroom, but I'm also looking forward to um, being more engaged with my union and engage with a union when you um, don't have issues to bargain over 
it it takes on a different thing. It could be social. It could be looking out for one another. It could be making sure people understand. And in our case, it could even be encouraging others to become members of our union. But um, I, you know, I, I this was a great great year. My hats off to all the different people in labor. Um, you know, as a political consultant who works for some politicians who are very um, close to a lot of uh, unions. You know, I've always been union adjacent, even though as a member of a union, I've not had a lot of different issues, but um, it was fascinating and great to be part of a union as it won. And I mean, there were times in which I was ready to give up. I was like, we're never returning to the classroom. For those of you who've ever seen Seinfeld, I felt like that episode where Kramer uh, was sitting on the couch and he gets a phone call that the strike's over. And he had been on strike for so long that Jerry, Elaine, and George, and even though he even had a job that was on strike, right? Um, but uh, no, it, it was it was a great year, great great year for 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 organized labor, and um, I hope that it, it continues. And I and, and just understand that the the victories that organized labor has often benefit the people who are not members of organized labor. You know, uh, I think they talked about how because of the UAW strike. There were a number of auto factories, foreign auto factories in the United States that are not UAW, and those folks got really good compensation packages when they saw what happened uh, with the UAW. So it'll be fascinating to see. So um, we are well past uh, 90 minutes on our year review. Um, It's been a great 2023. Uh, Fadi, would you have any closing departing words before we sign off? I guess the only thing I want to say is 2024 is going to be crazy. There's an election year. Election years are always crazy. There's going to be the elections not for another year, right? We still have till November. There's going to be a lot of stories. The political um, violence will ramp up. The rhetoric will ramp up. Trump, who knows if there's a guilty verdict, if the, the January 6th happens again, like there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. So I urge people to one, Whatever you ingest, to please be careful. Make sure it's not misinformation, disinformation. Wait, get it from a proper source. And then two, whatever you regurgitate out, make sure it's as accurate as you possibly know. And if you're going to try to help people, then make sure you do it the right way. It's my only lesson because I think the AI will have a massive uh, part in the, in the elections, and I'm just worried about it. So just be careful what you ingest. Be careful what you get spit out. Yes. So we will see you next year. For all, this is John Zeno. Bye-bye.